This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guest to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. Thanks, Lou. My name's Chris. I'm an alcoholic, and this is our preamble. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, Chris. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places – prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink. And this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery, which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. 
Okay, for anyone who has just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. We're just about to interview an AA member who's going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? My name's Chris. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the show. Would you like to tell us how long you've been sober? Yeah. Um, My sobriety date's the 15th of January 1995. Wonderful. So I like to say I came alive in 95 and I've got about 28 and a half years of continuous sobriety. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'm one of those really lucky people that I haven't had to have a second, first Mm. meeting. Mm, mm. Yeah. And, and and so um so just tell us tell us a little bit more about yourself um you know tell us about life and and who was Chris outside of AA <laughs> <laughs> I can barely remember the Chris outside before <laughs> AA before <laughs> AA because I'm getting a bit long in the tooth but um I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous long before I ever came in because. I was sent to work at the treatment centre at Queen Mary Hospital in Hammer Springs mm. when I was just a newly graduated nurse. Mm. And um, so I learnt about it and I learnt what to do to not have to admit it. I learnt right. a lot. <laughs> it was, and, 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 and so was that, so as a, as a fresh out of, out of nursing school, um, you know, tell us about how you're drinking you know, what was your drinking like at that point and, and when did it start? When did it start? Well, I was a freeze-dried alcoholic. I was just a kid waiting for alcohol to be added and, and right. that's what happened. Right. Um, I I started drinking. I mean, all nurses drink. Well, I shouldn't probably say that, but <laughs> in my day they did. And it was just what you did. Right. And... <laughs> I just joined in. I just wanted to fit in. I just wanted to be one of the crowd, one of the gang, and mm. and um, I just I just drank. But I knew from a very um, early stage that my drinking was different. You know, it was that you know two fisted, can't get enough. Right. What are you stopping for? Right. I want more. Sure. Always wanted more. And and, yeah. and so, you know, other than the wanting more, what did it do for you and how did it make you feel? Oh, it made me feel like I fitted in. Yeah. 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 It was a, a skeleton key. It fitted any lock. Yeah. And I could just be what I thought was a normal young woman mm. doing what normal young women do. And mm. in actual fact, I was drinking to cover up and hide from... Well, I was drinking because I'm an alcoholic. It wouldn't have mattered what had happened to me, but, you know, alcoholism is just sitting waiting and it was waiting for me because it made me feel like I wasn't so damaged and different mm. to my fellows. Mm. Yeah. And and so so the drinking, you know, I'm guessing, you, you know, you say it's the way we drank, so it was socially... Even though you recognised that maybe it was slightly more than your peers or a lot more than your peers, um, did the drinking change? Take us through your early adulthood. Well, at first um, I would drink in in pubs and bars and things with the other girls and we had our own little spot. Um, But 
I know, you know, I noticed that other people didn't drink as much as I did, didn't mm. drink the way I did. Mm. And so I always wanted them to hurry up and I would have to, I'd have to get tanked up before I went out mm-hmm. and, um, and then I'd go home and finish the job. Mm. You know, I mean, mm. they just didn't do it, you mm. know, and, um, and I needed that. Mm. Um, so... You know, I always knew right from early that my drinking was different in the way that I had more and more quickly. Mm. And to, mm. to black out, I'd started drinking to black out really early and I didn't even know what that was. No. And, and did what women alcoholics do and woke up in dangerous places and um, in dangerous situations and... Mm. And so I had to have another drink to hide that, mm. you know. Mm, never course. talked about it, never talked about it to anybody. Mm. Yeah. And, and I did. And, and so, you know, until the, like you say, until you did, you know, what were some of the consequences? Were there consequences? You know, oh, yeah. jobs, family, relationships. Yeah. Well, I went along in my job quite nicely for a number of years. And then what, what I, I noticed it happening and so did other people, but my behaviour got really bad. Mm. And, you know, I was in a responsible job. I was supposed to be caring for other people, tra and I couldn't have cared less. Mm. All I cared about was myself at the time. Mm. And I'm not proud to say that, but I, it's the truth. Mm. And, um, and... I couldn't stop myself from being horrible to people. Mm, mm. I worked with this lovely, lovely girl called Diane, and she, you know, she'd say, "Good morning, Chris. How's everything?" And and I would be down her throat and screaming at her. I mean, she's a colleague. She's and <laughs> and you know, she was so kind to me, oh. mm, mm. and I was just horrible. You know, mm. that sort of thing. Mm. You know, having to control everybody to. Mind out for me, I'm precious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and mm. yeah. So I got reported to the to the matron, and I spent a lot of my nursing career on the mat with matron. And <laughs> and but this one was bad because she said, "You can't come back. Mm. Go away. Get yourself sorted out." Wow. And we'll see you in six months. Ooh. So that was a bit tricky. Because I'd lost everything else by this stage, mm. you know, the house, the dog, the cat, the car, the kids, and um, just everything. Mm. Yeah, I'd, mm. it had all gone, mm. and that's what alcoholism does. It's a robber. Yeah. And, and so, would you say that that's what we describe as as our rock bottom? Was that your rock bottom? Is that what brought you into the rooms of recovery? Well, it did. Yes. So, yes. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and but, so, so how did you find yourself um, in the rooms, or how did you find your way to your first meeting? Oh yeah, well, it, people come into your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And there was a woman in my life at the time who was a member of our sister fellowship, Eleanor, and she used to blather on to me all the time <laughs> about how wonderful recovery was, and and her son was sober and. You have to have a higher power and da, da, da. And I thought, oh, yeah, right, oh, good on you. Mm-hmm. You know, I was so arrogant. Mm. And I um, – but I did go – I started going to see a counsellor and and I think now that that woman I was talking about, the Eleanor lady, 
got in the ear of this councillor and told her what I was doing. I think that's the only way I can see what happened. But this councillor just said to me one day, she said, how much do you drink? And I told her the truth, which was, mm. you know, it was at least a bottle of vodka every single mm. day. I mean, you, that's unsustainable. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I could afford it at the time. I was working and having, mm. you know, earning good money and, and didn't, you know, that wasn't the issue, mm. you know. But I'd come home from work in, in the afternoon, absolutely couldn't get out of there fast enough, mm. raised time, crack the top off a bottle, mm. mix it with orange juice, and that was my my denial. I, I mixed it with <laughs> orange juice and said, that's healthy, and down it went. But I wasn't eating anything, and mm. that was what I was having, you know, orange juice basically with well, well watered down or vodka <laughs> down. <laughs> so... And it just amazes me today the depth of that denial. Mm, mm. And I don't have to live in anymore, praise God. Um, so I told this woman the truth and she just looked at me and she said, you need to go to AA. And, of course, with my experience of having worked in the field all those years previously, um, I, I just looked back at her and I said, yes, I do. Wow. So there was no the fight was gone, you know. The fight was gone. Wow. And so I rang up. Um, the, the hotline that we mm-hmm. have, the 24-hour line. And I was taken, I was directed to my first meeting mm-hmm. that Monday night. And um, and I've been going ever since. And, and, and what was, tell us about the first meeting. What, what was oh, it like? And, and what were the people like? Oh, the people were lovely. But um, they called me Niagara because I just sat and cried. I cried and I cried. I cried for months. You yeah. know, every time I phoned somebody or they took, or they rang me and I heard their voice, I would cry. <laughs> and I don't. I just think I had a lot to cry about. Mm. You mm. know, and I don't worry about it now because I think, well, God gave us tear ducts for a reason. Mm. And mm. you know, and eventually people realised, you know, and they started saying nice things like, well, they never were nasty. But no. they said, it's just liquid prayers. Mm. I thought, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Or else they would say it's the ice melting around your mm. heart. And I think that's a biggie, mm. you know, because I, I felt that, yeah. Mm, absolutely. So, and yeah. so, so you know, we've talked, you know, uh, you know, we're nearly into I don't know how many decades of, of recovery here. What are the things that you've done to maintain your sobriety? Oh, lots. Well, I, I, like I said, I haven't had to have another drink. Mm. There's been nothing that's happened in my life, and there's been a lot, mm. that I've had to take a drink over. And mm. I could easily have some some occasions, but I know that one drink is not enough, you know, and, and one drink's too many and a thousand's mm-hmm. not enough, is whatever it is we say. But I also know that one drink wouldn't fix anything. Mm. And it hasn't fixed anything. So that was one thing. I didn't pick up the first drink. I went to mega amounts of meetings. Mm. You know, it'd be nothing to see me sitting in three meetings on on a Sunday, mm. you know, just because I just needed to be around other sober mm. alcoholics. Mm. And so in doing that, I got into service big time, big mm. service. You know, it's one third of our recovery, if you look at that triangle mm. that we have, recovery, unity and service. And I just poured myself into service. I was, you know, 
all or nothing. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. That's you know? okay. It yeah. didn't do me any harm. Mm. And, mm. you know, I didn't have people saying, don't do that. Mm. You know, I had people saying, good on you, go for it. Mm. And mm. I'm glad I did. Yep. Yeah. And um, and we talk about sponsorship as being a big oh. part of, of, of our, our program. Yep. yep. I had a – my first sponsor – was a woman I had, she told me to ring her every day, so I did. And she didn't tell me to stop until I was five years sober. Mm-hmm. And then I would just ring her sometimes. That, But and I, I couldn't believe. I thought, what am I going to talk to her about every single day? But that that was just so, so much a gift, mm. you know, her time and effort. Mm. But it was... I soon found out what I needed to talk about because, mm. I mean, not everybody that sits in a meeting is well and gives a good message. And I would ring her up and say, God, what, you know, whatever said last night, what was she talking about? And she said, oh, don't worry about that. Not everybody's well, but you're <laughs> all right. You were at the meeting and you've heard it and it's a gift and mm, all mm. that sort of thing I got told. Mm. So, And, and the mm. steps, um, you know, where oh. it's a 12-step program. Mm. What does that look like and what did that look like for you? Oh, I couldn't work that out. I was looking <laughs> for the staircase for a long time. <laughs> and, of course, you know, me being me, I didn't like to ask too many, you know, I didn't like to ask too many questions that I thought I should have known the answer to. It's just ridiculous, but I didn't. But, and you know, it, there's a series of, of mm. well, that we call them the steps, but whatever else. Um, and it, they're written in a way that one leads on to the, onto the next. So the first step is admitting that we're powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. And I didn't, oh, my life's not unmanageable. I've got a job, sort of. <laughs> I was nearly in it. And, you know, I had a car and I had an income mm. and, you mm. know, I didn't see it as being unmanageable, but, oh, my God, it's so unmanageable. Mm. And I was, you know, it still is mm. from time to time if I don't do this. But um, the next step asked me to um, come to believe in a power greater than myself. Well, there was no power greater than me. I was it. <laughs> You know, yep. and that was a bit of a bitter pill to swallow, but I um I I was given a gift, you know. And, and I guess that brings me on to a good point around AA talks about uh a spiritual program, not yeah. a religious program. Yeah. What did that look like for you? Yeah. Well that was scary for me because of course like just about every other person, I thought it was about religion and about, you know, God in the sky with his big white beard and mm. big <laughs> stick that he was going to whack me with. And that's not true at all, of course, but I didn't know that then. Mm. And and I I knew that God didn't want anything to do with me and I didn't want anything to do with God. So that was a bit tricky. Mm. You know, and I had this woman going in my ear about, you know, the higher power and all that stuff all the time, but... Again, it was a gift. I was given a gift of my concept of a higher power that is is personal to me mm. and it's pertinent to me. Mm. And 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 I've never had to to change that or mm. move away from that. It's grown, but it hasn't gotten less, you know. And I've, I was told by some people, oh, that's not going to be big enough higher power for you. But you see, people <laughs> don't know everything. They just don't. Mm. And it was right for me. Mm. And it still is right for mm. me right to this day. 
you mm. know. And um, what is it? When the student's ready, the teacher appears. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And that's what happened. And, you know, all these beautiful people mm. that I thought were, you know, dead losses. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and, mm. you know, and I was angry, you know, that I had two emotions when I came in here, anger and anger. <laughs> and people were brave enough to approach me and to to try and share their experience with me. And one sticks out. This lady came up to me after a meeting one day and she said, you know, Chris, what really helped me was to write a gratitude list. Well, I wanted to dot her on the nose. <laughs> you know, I was so angry. I thought, you stupid old biddy. You know, what's that going to do? What good is that? But I don't know. A gift. I've been. I'd looked at enough meetings, been in enough meetings, and I'd heard her share and stuff like that. And I went home to my solitary little flat with a cat, and I thought about what she said. I thought, look, she is so serene. She's lovely. Look at her. She's beautiful, and and she was brave enough to come up and speak mm. to me and not to try and force it down my throat. Mm. And I thought, well, I can give it a go to mm. write a gratitude list, which was what she was suggesting. I thought, okay, I'll write a gratitude list. See, surrender. Mm. And um, so I started to write. I got a big piece of A4 paper, and I wrote at the top, gratitude list, and I put one thing on that gratitude list. And it shows how absolutely arrogant and... <laughs> and out of touch I was, but I wrote, I am grateful for the cat because it was something warm and alive to come home mm-hmm. to. There was mm-hmm. nothing else left. Mm. This, you know, always oh, a lovely old cat, but, you know, that was it. Mm. That was it. I could not think of one other thing to be grateful for at that point in mm. time. Mm. But, of course, that's changed as I've mm. kept doing it. And, and, yeah, and, and yeah. as you say, as you keep doing it, what are some of the things you do in times of difficulty now? How do how you know how is it that you don't pick up that first drink? How is it? Well, what I was really given in AA was a big toolbox of of strategies, if you like, if you want to call them that, or things to do. And there's you know there's prayer and there's meditation and there's reading the big book and there's listening to AA tapes, which I did ad nauseum. Um, and t- ringing people, I was I was given the instruction to ring at least five mm. people a day. Oh, and they all got a big treat to my tears, but that's all right. None of them ever criticised me for it. Yeah. Mm. Um. So I had, you know, I had that. Um, and so we're just really meetings, re- just talking to other alcoholics. Yeah. You know, going on. a Outings like a movie or a, <laughs> yeah. Or a, I went windsurfing once. That was that was <laughs> exciting because they had to rescue me. <laughs> but you know, yeah. doing just l- l- learning to live a bit, yeah. Because yeah, I hadn't, my life had gotten as big as my little finger mm. nail. You know, it yep. was crazy. Yeah. Mm. 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 Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. Mm, I finished. Mm-hmm. Didn't feel like long enough. (laughs) I'll beat your ears for another hour. (laughs) It's been wonderful to have you here. Thanks. Okay, so for our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. 
There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats again on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember... If you want to drink, that's your business. But if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We'll now close the show with the serenity prayer, as we do in every AA meeting. God, God, grant grant me me the the serenity serenity to to accept accept the things things I I cannot change, change, courage to change the things I can, and and wisdom to know the difference. You've been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.